everyone. Welcome to a new episode of the Skeptically Inclined Science Podcast, uh, episode 26. I'm your host, Evan. And I'm Tom. Hi, guys. You're not a host. Uh, <laughs> and we're also joined by John. Say hello, John. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Uh, on today's episode, what are you going to talk about, Tom? Um, X and Y chromosomes. Uh, some molecular mechanisms behind their appropriate function and how uh, we can hijack uh, these aforementioned mechanisms to our own benefit in terms of therapy. Cool. Sounds interesting. And today I'm just going to give a brief talk of the winners of the Nobel Prizes in primarily in medicine and physiology, but I'll briefly mention the chemistry and physics uh, and some other news headlines that happened this week. I was just going to say that there is no law for uh, literature and no. peace, is it? Okay. <laughs> well, this is a science. This is a science podcast, so I think that's why I'm <laughs> focusing on these. I'll get John's perspective for the physics, what he thinks, um, and chemistry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I hope you're doing well. I hope you're in, uh, looking forward to this episode. It should be good. Um, before we get into today's uh, headlines, and I'll discuss what I'm going to discuss. Um, how are you, Tom? How are you getting on? How was your? Uh, how are you feeling? Yeah, Grant, uh, keeping well myself. I, as just said a second ago, we went to see Shang-Chi movie recently in the cinema. It was uh, really interesting. Um, it was really good. It actually, the way they showed it, it made me feel like you're watching one of the old um, like Kung Fu movies, you know, like the, is it Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon and, yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, it was really good. It's, a, it's the new Marvel movie. It, it is the new Marvel movie, yes, yes. Highly recommend it, uh, okay. especially if you know Mandarin. You would even enjoy it even more. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm just kind of, and uh, I just have like a lot of fruit flies in my apartment right now. I don't know why, so I'm just trying to find a way to get rid of them. But like, it's, I'm, I'm losing so far. Yeah, it's because it, usually they die off in winter, but it seems like it's been such a mild autumn so far. So it's a bit weird. Yeah, yeah and the other... Uh, news was our last episode we did the YouTube comments on a, mm -hmm. a, a science show so why well, we might as well have a look and see how we did did any of us manage to even get one like did any of us win <laughs> so we'll just review our comments and to see did any of us do well with our uh, with what our blank generic comment uh, mm. how did you get on Tom yeah, I got not no love for me. Yeah, I did not get any any comments either, any likes Neither, either. Nor did I. So, I think it was a bit of a fail, to be honest. I think we picked the wrong channel. Yeah, we were too late. We needed to find a newer video. Yeah. Okay, we'll do this again the next time. See how we can get on. <laughs> see how if we can impr improve our uh, our commenting skills and science it's just that well you need to be on the ball and be like okay this new video has come out and we need to get a comment in fast because if you don't it's just going to be buried underneath all the rest of the comments so i, I think I th next time we should also like each other videos just to kind of get the ball going yeah 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 and maybe comment on each other's so that way it gets more uh more publicity gets more seen, yeah more people to see it um definitely yeah. create some so artificial storm it's, gr it's great to know our fans like really enjoyed it and like went and sought out our comments and liked the ones we wanted <laughs> sound bitter evan no not that i'm bitter um yeah so that was kind of <laughs> that was that was our fail from last week last episode 
Um, okay, so like, apart from that, we might as well get into the news then. Mm-hmm. Into the science news. Um, yeah, so the last week was dominated, I suppose, by the Nobel uh, Prizes. Um, the biggest, I suppose, science event of the year, kind of, you could argue. Um, yeah. So... The nominees for the Nobel Prize for Physiology and Medicine, they were announced on the 4th of October. Uh, Physics was announced on the 5th, and then the chemistry was on the 6th. So Mm -hmm. um, before I I did this, before they were announced, I was like, okay, maybe I could speculate about who would win. So actually, I'll announce who the winner was first, so that you know. I don't know. Okay, the winners of the medicine and physiology was David Julius and Ardem Patiputian for the discovery of receptors for temperatures and touch. So they tried to answer how our nerve impulse is initiated so that temperature and pressure can be perceived. Uh, and it was actually kind of interesting that um, Dave Julius used capsaicin, you know, the, the spice mm-hmm. uh, molecule um, that induces this burning sensation. And he used that to identify a sensor in the nerve endings of the skin that will respond to heat. And then Erdem Patiputian, he used pressure sensitive cells to discover a novel class of sensors that respond to me- mechanical stimuli in the skin and internal organs. Uh, and these breakthrough discoveries launched intense research activities leading to a rapid increase in our understanding of how nervous system senses heat, cold, and mechanical stimuli. So what was your thoughts? Did you think it was the right winner? Or uh, Well, I was happy that the sensory team is being recognized because yeah. I work in the sensory team. So, But nevertheless, I thought it was really surprising. I just I didn't thought it was a bit surprising. That yeah. to, to come to the surface, uh, especially after last year yeah. being the the CRISPR, which was so huge and now uh, not taken any way from their discovery because it's huge, but like it's just so it seems disproportional to what it was last year. But then again, um, what do I know? They uh, definitely deserve it for their work, I, I would assume. Yeah, I'm but sure. it, I, I, yeah, it just it seemed like, especially on building on momentum from last year with the vaccines and like this new technology, so there was speculation that because of this new technology used in the mRNA vaccine, that the scientists originally involved in the research would actually win the the uh, prize because it kind of yeah. wouldn't make sense in this year. Um, it was actually suggested back in 2005, a paper that suggested it could be used as an immunization tool. Uh, and it showed that sending specific mRNA strands into cells could prompt them to make pathogen attacking proteins that they wouldn't otherwise. Um, and yeah, this Catalin, Caitlin Carico of BioNTech, she's been working on this project since the 90s. But when she and another scientist known as Weissman published their findings, it didn't actually ori- originally receive a lot of press. Now, fast forward 15 years later, and their work has changed the frontiers of vaccination forever. So, like logically, I'd be like, it just makes sense. But uh, not 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 slating the other winners or anything. But yeah, it just was a bit out left wing. But don't Nobel prizes tend to be quite a few years after it's been established that what they've worked on has been great? So maybe that's why yeah. it's just yeah. a little bit too early to say yet. Yeah, yeah. I was just gonna say that, that it could be too early, and there is still like a, a lot of like controversy around these this vaccine so if they would probably announce them as winners there would be like an uproar uh but like you don't want it's just basically 
I, I just think for the Nobel Prizes, you just don't want like a lot of negative publicity around them because it, take, it takes away from what it is. So yeah, so I just think uh, it's a little bit too inflammatory subject for the Nobel Prize to, mm, to take it on board. And as John said, maybe it might be a little bit too early. We still don't know the long-term effects of the vaccines. So yeah. <laughs> we suppose, I suppose we have to wait. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's true. Um, but like, I definitely think not wanting to have a too negative effect is, I think, not a good enough reason. I personally think, but but yeah, I suppose like long term to see how it goes. But hopefully, then they, it's not going to be just forgotten about. But I suppose there's a lot of um, new um, discoveries with mRNA vaccines that's been undeveloped right now. So. With I'm them. I'm sure they won't forget it. Yeah. Um yeah, the other speculative uh the other speculation of winners was the heritability of breast cancer. It was a, a female scientist and I they thought that maybe because it's been such a male dominated uh winners that they might uh give it to a female winner and she was the one who was involved in the research in the BRCA one um gene which is involved in breast cancer. It's her a mm-hmm. heritability gene. So um, there was speculation it could be her. And then the other one was, um, which I'm surprised has never won in a, a Nobel Prize yet. It's the two-pronged organization of the immune system because originally they didn't realize that um, we have our T-cell response, which is their adaptive, and then you have your antibody or humoral response. And they didn't realize that that's a two-pronged attack for your immune system. And that they showed that if you remove your thymus, that mm. they're still able to produce antibodies and they didn't realize that until they did this research. So I think that definitely was something I was like, oh, wow, that's never won in a, um, uh, a Nobel Prize. So there was speculation it could win. But of course, congrats to anyways. Um, yeah, no, definitely. Julius and Erdem, Patiputian. And then briefly, the the physics winner was... Um, uh, it was split. Yeah, it was three, three laureate chair this year's Nobel Prize in Physics for the studies of chaotic and apparently random phenomena. Sayukuro Manabe and Klaus Hasselmann laid the foundations of our knowledge of the Earth's climate and how humanity influences it. And Giorgio Parisi is rewarded for his revolutionary contributions to the theory of disordered materials and random process. So that was the physics winner and... And I just want to clarify my mistake, if that's okay. Yeah, so I <clears throat> I said that last year the Nobel Prize in Medicine went to CRISPR-Cas9, when in fact it went to the discovery for the hepatitis C virus and the CRISPR-Cas9 went for a chemistry 2020. Um, so yeah, so back to you, Evan, you were saying? Yeah, and just then bringing it on to the final winner, I'm just going to mention the chemistry winner. Um, it went to uh, Benjamin List and David Macmillan. Um, they were awarded the Nobel Prize in Chemistry for their development of a precise new tool for molecular construction um, known as organocatalysis. Uh, and the import, the ramifications of this is that it'll have a greater impact on pharmaceutical research and hopefully could make chemistry greener, whereas you can make um, mimics of different chemistry molecules um, like different conformations uh, and mm-hmm. that way it can like make things more potent so you're not ra- wasting um, as much like chemicals or wasting as much um, materials um, for this research so yeah that was just the Nobel Prize winners um, so congrats to all them we'll be there mm-hmm. one day hopefully 
and then the other I just wanted to mention two other news headlines that were really good good news uh, stories um, the first one was they developed a, a malaria vaccine for the very first time um, what kind world, of vaccine is it so the World Health Organization it's recommended this uh, use of a RTS a malaria vaccine uh, it's among primarily just kids in sub-Saharan Africa and other areas with moderate to high uh, malaria transmission. Um, so it has shown that um, it can prevent 4 in 10 cases of malaria and 3 in 10 severe cases. So the kids at birth get 3 doses of the vaccine and then I think it's like 18 months after they get another booster dose and then um, it can help. Uh, it's still roughly only like 50%, so it is kind of low, but it's still better than nothing. And especially in these cases where malaria can have serious impacts, if it doesn't kill the kid child, it can still uh, affect their development. So um, mm. it, it has serious uh, potential outcomes. So uh, these know? severe outcomes definitely outweigh the risk of using the vaccine. So it's great to see, like, and there's already talk of the comp- the the uh the researchers in oxford who were involved in the astrazeneca vaccine they're also developed an, a vaccine for this malaria and it's even meant to be even more efficient so hopefully more research can be done but it's great to see finally this awful disease malaria can finally mm. maybe be somewhat put targeted and uh the deaths reduced from it and uh but like do you know how the vaccine works what how did they how do they develop it? How does uh, it yeah, I like don't. Just how does it work? Yeah, no, I actually don't. I'm not sure how exactly it works. Uh, I didn't really look into detail. I don't think. Um, maybe if I'm going into detail the next time in my main story, but it's just the headline okay. today. Yeah. And the other last, finally, for the news stories, uh, it was at the sickle cell disease. I know you've mentioned it a few times on one of your main stories. Mm-hmm. How they've now developed a first new treatment for sickle cell in 20 years has become available for patients in England. Um, yeah, and it's from, called... From tr- England? In England. So in patients England. in England can get access to it. Hopefully it'll become more wider available for other um, individuals, patients. Um, but yeah, it's still not recommended for routine use. It's only for um, managed uh, use for certain patients. What, I was what, just going to ask, is it like a treatment treatment or is it just to maintain the symptoms or correct for the symptoms? Correct for the symptoms. So it's it's the drug is called crizanilizumab. Uh, uh, it's an intravenous treatment and it's recommended as an option for preventing recurrent sickle cell crisis in people age 16 or over. And it can be taken on its own or can be taken along the drug that's already used uh, currently for treating sickle cell uh, anemia. Interesting. Hydroxo carbimamide and i looked up crizanilibumab um and it's a it's it targets the it's it's a a monoclonal antibody that targets the p selectin in the vast um blood vessel so Mm -hmm. basically when this sickle cell crisis occurs it causes the the clotting and activating of platelets and all uh, that cascading effect so what happens is it kind of helps prevent this cascading event from occurring because p-selectin becomes up regulated when the clotting is going to occur so it's an antibody that will try and stop these events occurring so um 
yeah, it's very promising. Hopefully, again, that it'll still work and it'll come widely available for patients. And uh, again, there's be better options for treating patients with sickle cell anemia. So yeah. yeah. And in the UK, there's a there's a huge population of uh, of people who come from places that are susceptible that could make them susceptible to becoming sickle cell. So yeah, yeah. there is definitely a need in UK for treatments yeah. like that, yeah. as in in Ireland. I'd say in Ireland, yeah. Hopefully, Ireland will hopefully also uh, be able to use the drug uh, mm. in their patients. Yeah, that was the news then stories for this. Uh, the last week or so got a bit of news come out i think a lot of good news so uh, yeah the, the nobel prize definitely good news yeah exactly so yeah that was all i wanted to talk about so yeah like let you brilliant go ahead on your uh, main story tom yeah so i just talking about yeah i wanted to answer a question uh, exactly what is the difference between boys and girls you know this is just uh Ooh, this is a controversial yeah, already yeah, and I was thinking about that, and I was like, when, I'm not, wh- "Why I'm are you get- thinking about this?" Because, uh, like, uh, re- recently I got a new mug from a friend from uh, work, and then um, she asked me, like, "What kind of thing would like why would I want on the mug?" And I said, "Like, oh, I'm okay with my feminine side, so it could be like a little bit feminine." And uh, I got the, the I, she got me that feminine mug and it's like, it's pretty dope. It's more than like uh, half a liter. So I can make a, like more than a pint of tea in it, which is like really nice. Um, uh, but then I was just thinking like, you know, like femininity, masculinity, uh, you know, I started doing boxing. So that's like very typically masculine thing. And then in my classes, there is more girls than boys or men, more women than men. So uh, just these things were like, you know, walking around my head thinking about the differences between males and females and but what what did it uh, say on the mug there was just like little girls wearing dresses and sunshine and i think one girl says uh no sugar needed you sweet enough and i was like that's exactly how i am (laughs) so um yeah so i was just thinking about these differences it's existential crisis all from a mug yeah, is it is it existential or is it an orientational <laughs> crisis? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, so I was thinking about the differences then, um, and I definitely didn't want to get into like what makes a boy a boy and what makes girl a girl because like I don't think this is the right way of thinking about it. But what is true is that uh, biological females have XX set of chromosomes and biological males have XY. So I thought, okay, let's just go down this way because um, I think you will cause just too want... much, too much controversy. Otherwise, maybe. Yeah, and the X Y on them in themselves are quite interesting. So you just basically want to look at it from purely a genetic standpoint. Yeah, yeah, genetics only. Yeah, and yeah. So as I started reading about it and putting down some notes, I decided to kind of look at it from the evolution. Uh, perspective like how did we acquire the sex determining chromosomes uh some and i wanted to uh, look into molecular mechanisms that allow the chromosomes to function the way they do and how humans were able to hijack those mechanisms and use them in the form of therapy for uh some genetic conditions i thought i actually i actually like when the nature gives us something and we are able just to kind of mimic it and apply it for uh, some other problem and issue but anyway, um, as I already said, the X and Y are sex chromosomes. And just for people who don't know, chromosomes are 
thread-like structures located inside uh, the nucleus of uh, animal cells and plant cells. And each chromosome is made of protein and the single uh, DNA strand, well, double-stranded DNA. So, that's, so the chromosomes keep them tightly together. And uh, we use them uh, because not all DNA is accessed at the same time for expression, especially like in human cells. So we need, uh, we need chromosomes uh, to kind of uh, release certain aspects of the DNA to become available for protein production. And in certain times we need chromosomes to restrict access to certain parts of the DNA to repress the expression of yeah. certain proteins. And that's and why we have chromosomes. Uh, yeah, and then just to say we have 22, we have 23 chromosomes. 22 are like known to 22 and then we have our xy chromosome yeah and that's the sex determining chromosomes but they also have a lot of other role as well the x and y chromosomes so indeed and actually that was my next point so thank you for mentioning the 23 pairs of chromosomes because i just also want to get rid of this ideology that the number of chromosomes define intelligence because for example um Potatoes and chimpanzees both have 24 pairs of chromosomes. A fruit fly has four pairs of chromosome, whereas rice plant has 12. So, you know, number of chromosomes does not dictate at all how intelligent one person can be or is not. Another thing that I wanted to uh, kind of, yeah, I just want, I don't want people to think that all across all the species in the in on earth xx is female and xy is male this is a misconception this kind of classification is only appropriate for most mammals and drosophila fly, uh, drosophila flies but for example uh in species of birds and some reptiles the females are actually zw heterogametes and males are homogametic zz so they don't use even xy they use completely different nomenclature and these uh, and these uh, ZZ and ZW chromosomes are completely different from X and X, uh, XX and XY. And um, another interesting thing that I wanted to pass along is that some animals, their sex is being determined under uh, uh, temperature. So it's so-called uh, temperature sex determination. And this is very present, uh, this is very prominent in, uh, in, in reptiles, especially in crocodilians and, and some species of tortoise. So the, spe the, the species, of the, the sex of the species is not, is not known until certain temperature conditions are met. And that's what determines the, the sex. I thought that's like absolutely fascinating, but we are actually... Mm -hmm. So that's basically when the they're being like because they're eggs isn't it for reptiles so yeah it's the way they um if they're constantly be kept at a certain temperature they're more likely to be a, a male yeah i or... don't know i don't know exactly the uh, mechanisms behind the temperature sex determination but it is true that uh that's why they incubate the eggs and that's why they cover them up under like ground or soil to kind of uh, increase the temperature but like how exactly temperature influences sex determination i didn't look that because uh it's just uh, that's a whole topic on itself yeah and yeah. and it's not like a short answer that will tell you at 36 you have a female and at 37 you have a male it's just i don't think it's like that okay so i kind of yeah i just kind of wanted to mention it just to kind of clarify that not entire world is divided based on xx and xy division um but we're gonna make a turn back 
into the mammals now, and we're gonna focus on how through evolution we acquire the uh, XX female and XY males determination. So I was trying to put some date on it. How 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 far back do we have to go? And I and I found out that sometime around 30 million years ago, a proto X and a proto Y chromosome emerged, and they actually uh, it actually aligns with the time where the true mammals diversified from marsupials. That's around that time in the evolution of mammals that the sex hormones became uh, apparent. And the one thing that made it made this XY division was the acquisition of testes determining factor, which in humans is the SRY gene, which is now located on the Y chromosome. So that was this that was the start of it. And once these testes determining factor, TDF, uh, hap- uh, happened to appear on the on the Y chromosome, uh, another may beneficial gene started to accumulate around this SRY gene. And that um, caused suppression of recombination with the X chromosome, which is really important because through recombination, we maintain healthy chromosomes. And once this is suppressed, chromosome is more prone to kind of start losing its material due to accumulations of deletions. And this is exactly what happens in the Y chromosome, because as you know, Evan, when you look at it, it's, it's, it's much smaller than the X counterpart. And this is because there is no recombination and the genetic material is being lost. Because you inherit <coughs> your Y chromosome from your dad if you're a male. Yeah, and you don't want any recombination because you don't want to lose these male uh, oh, beneficiary yeah. genes uh, around the locus of the uh, testes determining factor. You, so you want to keep these haplotypes together and you want to pass them along to the next generation of males. But by doing so, uh, you have to suppress the recombination. So, so and, and there's like, kind of risk and benefit ratio there. Yeah, so in every other chromosome, recombination happens except these. Uh, yeah, well, it happens in the autosomal uh, chromosomes, in the non-sex determining yeah. chromosomes, yes. Um, of course, in females, females don't, don't have the X, uh, they don't have the Y chromosome, they have two Xs. But now this, the funny thing started happening once the... Once the Y chromosome start being a male chromosome, the X was only producing a certain number of genes and the female XX was producing a double amount of the genes. So there was an imbalance. So that's why in males, there was a, there was a, a push towards um, overexpression of genes on, from the X chromosomes to catch up on the difference. And in the females, there was a pressure placed on... Um, inactivation of the X chromosome to kind of suppress the expression of the of the genes. So, and at some point, these two parties level up. So now we have a roughly the same expression of the genes from the X chromosome. Yeah. Um, so this is important because uh, actually the X inactivation will come in later as a therapy in my story. And uh, But it's really I, crazy res- t- to me that like how it just naturally evolved that the X second X chromosome was just inactivated, like it would just become silenced. Mm. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah. Yeah, th- now that you acknowledge that it is I- interesting, uh, it's not the only way that the uh, that the species uh, worked out the problem of uh, 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 XX and XY or ZWZZ. I think it's a bird species that actually 
sorry, Drosophila species that actually Drosophila species, females also have XX set of chromosomes and the males have XY set of chromosomes. But in Drosophila flies, rather than using X inactivation, they put all of the chips into overexpression of genes from the uh, male X chromosomes. So the wow. flies, they don't even bother with X inactivation. They just, they just want overexpression of proteins from the male X chromosome. So again, different species find a different way around the same problem, really. And like, why, can I ask, why do they, mm-hmm. um, why is it that the Y, why is it that, yeah, the Y chromosome is so smaller than X? Like, why was it that the, mm-hmm. this sex determining gene was located on a chromosome that's smaller? Like, what was the f- function of that? Why isn't it just a normal X chromosome that has yeah. this sex determining gene? So if you, if you trace evolutionary back enough, uh, you go far back enough, the, the, the X and Y chromosomes are just pair of normal autosomal chromosomes. So they don't have any sex related issue at all. Uh, let's say if you go more than three, 300 million years ago, but then once this, uh, male determined testes determining factor found itself randomly by just, just accident on that, uh, autosomal proto Y chromosome. This was very important from the evolutionary point of view, because now you have a sex determination, which is very important. So evolution wanted to uh, preserve that uh, sex determination present on the proto Y. So at the time, you have to think that this Y chromosome is still as big as the X chromosome. But now over through years of uh, generations, uh, loads of times passing by, yeah, you just the Y chromosome slowly is refusing to go to the process of recombination with the uh, sister Y, uh, sister X chromosome. It just refuses to do it because it's afraid of losing the testis, testis determining factor. And because this exchange of genetic material doesn't happen between two sister chromosomes, what happens is the way starts to accumulate mutations at the very high rate. And these mutations cause it to shrink because it physically, it starts losing genetic material. Uh, the Y chromosome, just because it's not meant to recombine. There is some recombination happening at the early stages when the X X part of the chromosome and Y part of the chromosome still overlap at, to some degree, but the more you move into the, into the future, the less of that region is still shared because of the constant losing of genetic material and the evolutionary changes of the Y chromosome to suit more males more than females. So the more the differences are uh, evident, the lesser combination takes place. And that's why Y is slowly being degenerated to the point that it can disappear completely, which is called sex chromosome turnover. And that was actually shown in Drosophila flies that in two different sets of populations, because you know, Drosophila can replicate very quickly. So you can create loads of generations in a very short time. And they they were able to show that there are differences in the origin of the Y chromosome, that like one was older than the other. So that means that at some point in that generation, the Y chromosome disappeared and the neo Y chromosome had to be created that acquired the uh, sex determining factor again in a sort of way. Oh, so it okay. is thought that the Y chromosome in in, ma- in mammals, in humans, at some point also might disappear and there will be a need for a new, uh, a novel, novel Y, neo Y chromosome to kind of uh, 
maintain this sex determination going on. But like we talking, you know, like hundreds of millions years into the future, I think, I don't think there's something we have to worry tomorrow yeah. um, about losing the testicles. But um, yeah, I already mentioned the sex chromosome turnover, which is the Y chromosome being completely uh, disappearing from the from the set of population. And that already has happened in chickens or dragonflies, but not uh, not not yet in um, in uh, in mammals in us. And I also mentioned um, this dose compensation of N X inactivation in in mammals. And uh, I just like to focus on this a little bit because this is a this is a doorway into the uh, into the treatment that I have uh, prepared to talk about a little bit. So <clears throat> as I already said, Evan, X inactivation is very important in females to maintain the balance of genes expressed from the X chromosome in both sexes. This whole X inactivation process is a, is a random event. So you don't really, in mammals, you don't know, is it gonna be a X chromosome from my mom or from my dad that's gonna be inactivated? So it's a completely random event. You have to know that uh, X chromosome carries a gene called um, uh, X inactive specific transcript. In the short, in the short, short way, it's called XIST. It codes for a long non-coding RNA. So basically, there is no protein. It just codes for these long stretches of RNA. And this gene is expressed from both X chromosomes in female, both from mom and from dad. This X is, is being expressed as a long stretches of RNA. Now, one of these uh, X chromosomes in a female, completely by, by random accident, you don't know which one, expresses another gene which is called T6, which is a completely, which is an analog of XIST. And the T6 expresses another long non-coding RNA okay. that actually degrade the first one. Yeah, yeah. So this is how you see that one chromosome still has this or this XIST RNA, long non-coding RNA, but the other chromosome doesn't have it because it expresses this additional gene. So now the gene that still has that XIST uh, this long non-coding RNA starts coating the X chromosomes, starts surrounding it all around it, wrapping up. It starts uh, attracting um, uh, methylation processes on top of that chromosome. There is heterochromatin starts developing. And for those who don't know, heterochromatin is this is this state of, uh, of chromosomes which uh, is not available for gene expression the genes become very tightly packed inside that inactivated X chromosome up to the point that it starts uh, condensing and forming the structures called bar body. And it's basically bar body is an X chromosome in a very silent state that it's just, that's how you end up with only one X chromosome in the female. And uh, of course, there is some degree of uh, escape, gene escape from that inactivated chromosome. There are some stretches that that can still express some uh, some uh, important genes. But then overall, if you want to think about it, there is basically uh, inactivation of a whole of a one X chromosome with some degree of escape, which we don't have to get into it now. So now that you know how the X chromosome is inactivated, uh, I want to bring this in the topic of treatment of the Down syndrome. Yeah, but the other so, thing I was going to say, actually, it's it is crazy that um, 
it's really dependent on these two genes work well one of the genes definitely that will inactivate the the rna so like it's a you you're dependent on this mrna de decoding or, or um degrading uh rna being expressed in one of them or else yeah. then neither of them are going to be expressed so it's very like and you have to only happen in one of them so it's kind of like okay that's it's a lot of so um, the so the first one is expressed in both of them. So yeah, both X chromosome produce the Xs, but then only one of them starts expressing T6. Yeah, but you're hoping that yeah. this they like it's a lot. You have to put a lot. You it has to be a fairly uh, reliable system that it happens reliably. I think it works pretty well. Yeah, it's obviously it does work well, <laughs> yeah, but like yeah, but it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, and it's just how does that even how is that decided? Like which one? Yeah. So I think for me, when it said like it's a random event uh, from which chromosome is going to be inactivated, I'm sure there is like some ma molecular there. signature that probably allows you to to figure it out which one is going to be. But I just took it for granted that random is good enough for yeah, me at yeah, this no, point because I, I thought yeah. you don't need to go. It's just it is interesting. Yeah, it is. No, uh, indeed, it is interesting, and um, yeah, and as you know. Um, the Down syndrome, the, the, I'm going to talk about the Down syndrome caused by the trisomy of chromosome 21. And of course, you, you, I, th I hope you can see how I'm going to apply a <laughs> X inactivation into the Down syndrome. Um, long story short, basically you try to replicate what is happening on the X chromosome in the, in the cell that has three pairs of chromosome 21, yeah. uh, one pair too many, which is the causative, which is the reason for uh, Down syndrome to emerge in the embryo. Um, so the, the, the story of this treatment, I trace it back to 2013, when the first when the one of the first paper came out from MIT. Uh, and the, the 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 leading author, not the first author, but the uh, the the last author, the most important author, is the uh, is is called is, is woman Janie B. Lawrence, and um, in the 2013 paper, it was a Nature paper. They were actually trying to apply this X inactivation in in um, on the chromosome 21, and how they did it is they uh, first of all all studies as always start in the uh, in the test in the petri dish. So they yeah. took a fibroblast from the Down syndrome male and they revert them back into the IPSC state. And they come up with a very smart way of um, introducing the uh, cyst transgene, the one that inactivates uh, X chromosome. They um, cloned it inside of the uh, chromosome 21. Uh, they had a huge, su very successful rate of cloning of that transgene because once once they start screening different colonies of the iPS cells, they noticed that uh, this gene was cloned into not only one, but to two or three pairs of this chromosome 21. And they only wanted to have it in one chromosome because yeah, you only yeah. want to inactivate one. So they they did found it. Um, they did found the clones that only had it in one, uh, in one pair of the chromosomes. And the way they cloned it is exist transgene into there was that the gene was only switched on in the presence of uh, 
doxycycline. It's a type of an antibiotic that in uh, in genetics is used as a switch on switch off kind of trigger for certain gene expression, especially if you work with trans transgene dream, genes. And what they found is that five days after introduction of doxycycline, they already started observing the effects of excess mediated inactivation of additional chromosome 21. They, they analyzed the epigenetic methylation patterns between the treated and non-treated cells and showed that 90% of normally significantly expressed genes is reduced in the chromosome that has the transgenes activated. The authors also observed a robust increase in promoter DNA methylation within the range of inactivated chromosome X. And uh, promoter DNA methylation is also one of the highlights that you would see if you would start reading about X inactivation in females. That's something that they uh, talk about, this promoter DNA methylation. It's a huge marker. And uh, the transgene IPS clones, uh, when allowed to grow, they displayed healthy phenotype observed for the cells on the dish. So you treat them with the transgene, you treat them with the with the desoxycycline, the chromosome 21 is uh, inactivated, and now the big question is, will these cells still behave as uh, stem cells would behave normally, like a healthy phenotype? And the answer is yes. Uh, when encouraged to differentiation, uh, they did differentiate to new neural progenitor cells, and with the hallmark of this differentiation being the neural rosette phenotype observed on these cells. And uh, <clears throat> and in the cells that were treated with the uh, antibiotic to initiate the 21 inactivation, these phenotypic um, hallmarks were observed much sooner than on the cells that were allowed to have the additional pair of chromosome 21. So actually you change something that allowed the, the, the treated cells to reach the phenotype in the same time comparable to the wild type cells as compared to the mutant cell holding the chromosome, extra chromosome 21. So that was a great news. And uh, she followed it up, um, up to the year 2020, um, when she published uh, in the, I think it was the cell. And in the 2020 paper, I won't get into a much detail because the 2020 paper really focused on, we already shown that we can uh, stop, we can ex we can inactivate chromosome 21 in the stem cells and then drive them into the differentiation. In the 2020 paper, they first differentiated the cells into uh, the uh, progenitor neural cells. <coughs> and once the cells were differentiated, they tried to induce chromosome 21 inactivation yeah. because at the time the thought was only only the cells that maintain the pluripotency yeah. can undergo an activation. She showed in her 2020 paper that it also can be done in the uh, in the differentiated cells. So, um, so that's all I wanted to talk about. That there is an ongoing treatment or ongoing attempts to develop a treatment for the Down syndrome patients. Of course, in the way they have it right now is not suitable no. to work in the human body. It requires a lot of attention and work to put into it. But the whole idea that we are able to use this X inactivation mechanism and apply it to Down syndrome, um, I think it's huge. And I think uh, it's just a matter of time if, when we can achieve an actual thera therapeutic 
yeah, yeah. therapy for this patient. But I think this could be hindered, and this is something that I want your opinion on, Evan. I just think this could be hindered by ethical considerations, yeah. so I think, um, which are obviously present. And uh, I'm just going to read you some quick results of the surveys that were done. So 101 patient, pa parents of Down syndrome kids were asked if they would biologically treat their child of Down syndrome if possible. 27% said they would not biologically treat their child and 32% were unsure. The major motivation for a treatment was to increase the child autonomy. And it goes further on saying that at the end of the day, the parents are afraid that if they do this biological treatment on their children, that they would lose their child. It's something similar that uh, deaf people say when they refuse to get um, treated for the deafness because they are worried that they will lose something that defines their ident uh, identity, which in their case is, deaf is deafness. Mm. For these parents, these parents are worried about the health problems that the Down syndrome condition brings in itself, but they also are afraid of using biological or genetic means of uh, treatment because in a way, they can lose their child because the child could be defined by having the child could have defined its identity by having a down syndrome you know but like how many were in favor what was the you didn't say uh no 20 said 27 said they would not 32 said they were unsure so i guess the rest would be well, yes that's, that's but they like didn't state they didn't state that why Sorry. Didn't state that? Why didn't yeah. you state that? Forty-one percent. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, they didn't state that. So a majority would be in favor of treating it, but like the way I'm hearing it is, you would need to do this intervention before they're born. Would it not be? Yeah, it has to be. I think first of all, you would have to screen your embryos yeah. for the one that would have the trisomy twenty-one. I think you would no. You wouldn't have to. If the, if there will be conception would take place, then you would have to take a biopsy, uh, screen it, and then based on the results of the screen, you would have to intervene with the treatment. Which I think it sounds hugely invasive. Yeah. And I think I think people will say no to it because I remember there was a time in Ireland that they were uh, there were the tests available to tell whether your child might be a Down syndrome child or another or could be a, could could have another genetic uh condition and there was a negative feedback saying that like we don't want to know as in the yeah. potential parents of the child they, we actually don't we don't need to know so what you're trying what some parents are saying is that they don't like this is something that is natural and they don't want to be like determining yeah, the, before they give birth if it's like going to be a, a yeah. child with down syndrome or not yeah. and then if they intervene it's kind of uh like you're playing god or something like that but i think yeah um it's i think like the only way yeah that's the only way i could see this treatment being used is like because if it's an ex vivo uh treatment where they're like looking at the if they're selecting embryos they're obviously just going to select out the ones that are don't have this trisomy um so that yeah, it wouldn't be used in that situation unless like yeah unless that's not possible but i'm sure 
um, they I can, can select them out. Yeah, but, but see now, I think there is a there is a little there is a room for discussion here because if you actually let's say um, let's say you did the uh, conception and you have mu multiple embryos available for screen and let's say you screen some of them and then you you throw away all of the all of the ones that have the disease and you only uh, implant the healthy embryo. Yeah. So in the essence, you killed part some human beings you just killed okay so let's that's the argument whether that's yeah, like the i think now with the treatment but now with the treatment you don't have to screen through multiple embryos and you you wouldn't have to discard these embryos you would just if that particular embryo does have a trisom uh, 21 trisomy you'll be able to treat it you would you wouldn't have to like you know yeah, but that's go to the selection product. I think at that stage they're already doing ex vivo, like they're paying that much money. I think they'd rather have a child that or like select out for an embryo that has the best chance of survival and that's healthy. And I don't I hate to say like healthy and normal, but like that that doesn't wouldn't have an issue with Down syndrome. So I think they a parent at that stage wouldn't be like oh yeah just whatever just whatever is whatever just put whatever embryos that are fertilized in i I'll, I'll try i'd say they would like i want the best chance for a healthy child to be born so i think yeah but i i'm just i still saying from the perspective that if you get the best if you pick if you being in, in, in if you select the best embryo then you still are left out with these embryos that didn't make the cut and each of these embryos is a potential human being oh, okay Whereas yeah. with the treat, whereas with the treatment, you don't have to go through the process of selection and then uh, the process of discarding the unwanted embryos. You can just fix the 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 embryo that 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 needs to be fixing. You don't have to go through the process of him. Uh, yeah, but that's so much uh, more work. Selection. It seems like you'd have to be like, you, yeah, you've but already is, like is it... you've already been manipulating them ex vivo, and then you're put. Yeah, I know. I, 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 that's what I'm. I know. I'm saying. I'm not saying like in the same people who are getting this artificial insemination. You've already gone to the trouble of selecting out, getting IVF done, and then if you're getting the embryos inserted, and then you're like, oh, so one of them has Down syndrome, or like there's a one one of the embryos has Down syndrome. Then you'd be like, oh, so I have to pay. I've already got selected out embryos, and I won't have to go even more. Therapy. No, I don't think. Yeah, no, I know. I just saying that in this situation, it wouldn't be uh, suitable. I think it's more like if the patient, the parents, or the mother got screened and she found out they had child Down syndrome. Yeah. So, um, so I thought, um, I thought this this X and act, this whole concept of X X and X Y is interesting in itself. Uh, probably worth revisiting at some point again to kind of go a little bit deeper. Uh, but just the opportunities presented by the X inactivation in terms of, you know, not only Down syndrome, but um, other other uh, other genetic diseases that are driven by uh, trisomies, like I think it's a chromosome three trisomy and chromosome 15 trisomy. Um, some, some of these conditions can cause a child dead in the age of one or two because yeah. there are these consequences of this disease are just so incompatible with life. So I think it's 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 very interesting and it's very it raises my hopes. Um, hopefully, this will see uh, clinical trials at some point. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it'll be. Um, yeah, but it's it's just like I always think that 
I was saying how they get IVF. It seems like you the risk of doing this in a, a healthy mother who has down has a who has a confirmed child with Down syndrome. It seems um, it, how how would you even go about like certain trials with that? Because like if it damages the baby or like they really you're like you're damaging a life. Whereas it's like I mean, if you have unless you, you have good animal models. Uh, you have good delivery method uh, yeah. uh, figured out how to do it. And it could be just the case, the same way they, they, they went about with the uh, three parents' babies. I don't know if you remember when we covered that uh, using the mitochondrial transfer. Mm. Uh, but like, I there think... Was, there was not huge clinical trials going on. Few lads in Mexico said, let's, let's do it. Science checks out. But I, I would up. say with that is that the, the mitochondrial disease wasn't it that they were dying before they turned 10 or like something like that. Whereas with di Down syndrome, you, you do live till you can be at least 40. Uh, so yeah, Evan, the people suffering from Down syndrome, they uh, also experience intellectual dis intellectual disabilities and they are in the higher group group of people to develop Alzheimer's disease. So although it is true that that these people have a chance to live a healthy and prosperous life uh, in into their forties and so on. I still think that, given a if that treatment would be available, it should be it should be uh, taken up by people, because you still. You but I just like, say that's why I said I just think you kind of have to weigh up the potential risks and the potential benefits, and it's just. You would need to like see how would this um if a child got this treatment and they didn't it didn't give them down syndrome would they still necessarily live as long as of a life as someone who had down syndrome i suppose all of your questions are the right questions and that's why that's why we have to like do it slowly you know that's why it took from 2013 to 2020 to show that mm. not only we can correct stem cells but uh, we can only correct differentiated cells. But I do I do think um, the other ones you mentioned, like uh, not Down syndrome, but like the other diseases where the where trisomies... The Edward syndrome. Yeah, that they, syndrome. they do like, they die very young, generally, um, yeah. I think, isn't it? So I think them situations, yeah, I would definitely think, yeah, if they're going to die young anyways, you would try and come up with a treatment that they could, the parents could use to try and uh, inactivate the trisomy. Um, but yeah, it's just uh, the Down syndrome one is a tricky one because I know you say they have the intellectual disability, but it's just they generally can have a, a, like a shortened life, but it's they have a normal, like a somewhat normal life. Uh, yeah, so I don't know. It's 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 that's the question, isn't it? It's like the ethical question is like how how much do you want to fix for someone? Yeah, for a disease they would call maybe that's not a disease or they think that's not abnormal so yeah no it's it's true i think science answer a question of how to do it and i suppose then you have the ethical side of it which but if they can show it in the other disease, if they can show it in the other diseases um it would logically be like okay then maybe we should try it if it, and it's successful with it like well what logically we should try it in down syndrome but at the moment i don't think down syndrome should be the one treading the I'm, path i'm sure i'm sure 
one of the reasons they selected it was also that uh, I think Down syndrome is much more so common. Uh, the incidences of Down syndrome are uh, much higher than any other trisomy. Yeah, yeah. So I think you know just from the uh, you always want to you, you always want to find a cure for the disease that actually happens in more than you know mm -hmm. one person. Yeah. So um, yeah, I I understand the, where you coming from that not every disease uh, requires a genetic treatment intervention. I completely see your point of view, but uh, I'm just always very excited about things yeah, that we yeah. can change about ourselves. So I'm uh, uh, I was really happy to see uh, uh, to come across that research. Yeah, but yeah. I I do understand your concerns. Yeah. Okay, cool. That was great. Yeah, I, I do think that um, silencing and inactivation is a really interesting uh, topic. And it's kind of like crazy how we've evolved. That's how it's just evolved that way. Uh, and I think like, mm. that whole sex genetics is a very interesting field. Um, so interesting, yeah. And like there is so much going on like to cause this activation expression etc etc yeah so, yeah thanks for that i thought it was interest great uh, interesting no problem and, um, no problem great insight into the field um so that was today's episode um another new development is we are doing a giveaway of stickers um of as everyone has seen we did a new update of our logo um with our faces so we're giving a giveaway of some stickers of the new logo plus mine and tom's faces so um stay tuned to our instagram account we're going to post a question and you need to reshare the post as well uh to be in a chance to win the stickers so um yeah i hope uh i hope you can participate it'd be really exciting uh if anyone who got the if anyone who's gonna win the sticker sticker from us and gets it tattooed we'll also get it tattooed in the in the way of solidarity okay so there is that yeah so we're going to give away three to five stickers so yeah stay tuned to our instagram uh yeah and hope you best of luck and best of luck in the competition i hope you uh get some stickers with our faces on it it's the hottest hottest stickers right now you wouldn't be missing <laughs> out people are like what's that so yeah. uh yeah uh stay tuned and yeah uh that was today's episode as well so i hope you enjoyed it we i did a news recap of uh the nobel prizes and then of course two good news stories we had the who who um announced a new vaccine for malaria and then there's a new sickle cell disease uh, treatment that was just developed and you were talking about tom the x chromosome uh x chromosome <laughs> inactivation and new treatment that could be used in the potential future like to treat these trisomy disorders um yeah. yeah so if you have any questions if you want to reach out to us about any of the topics today or about the competition you can find us at instagram skeptically inclined uh twitter at skeptically i or you can email us as well it's at skeptically inclined at gmail.com um do you have anything else to add tom before we end the episode uh, no, guys, that was your favorite science podcast, Skeptically Inclined. Again, if we're not your favorite podcast by now, we, you're doing something wrong. Uh, thanks for tuning in. And yeah, stay skeptical. And before we end as well, we next episode, we have an interview. So uh, stay tuned for that. Should be exciting. Should be good stuff. Okay. Uh, stay skeptical, guys. Bye. Bye.